Well, last week we began a sermon series about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We were celebrating the aftermath of the 4th of July. Ah, I'm still strong enough to do that. That's good. That's freedom. All right. We were celebrating the aftermath of 4th of July, and we, we listened to the words that were penned by some of the founders of our nation that uh, all people are created with certain God-given unalienable rights, and those among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And as I was thinking about words spoken or written by our forefathers, what came to mind are words that we learn in elementary school. Remember Patrick Henry? Give me liberty or give me... Okay. What I want us to focus on today is as good as those were as far as his willingness to sacrifice for liberty. There was another man on another day in another place who was fully man and fully divine who said, give me death today so they can have liberty forever. And that's where we're going today with the second message in our series about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When I said a moment ago that um, our praise team practically sang the sermon, I wasn't kidding. I was making notes. For folks who sit here, they saw me. I kept sitting down and, and making notes on my sermon because one of the things I wanted to say to you is that you know, when we celebrate life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as Americans, if that's as far as it goes for us, we lose the fact that the life, liberty, and joy that God promises are far greater than what government can give or armies can provide. And I was reminded of that in the lyrics. One of the songs today, there was a line that said, nations rise and fall, and they do. We see it in our own lifetime, nations rise and fall. Nations can only give so much, and there are people who love God and will ultimately experience freedom someday. Freedom in Christ, not freedom that comes from a government. And Jesus let us know early in his ministry that freedom mattered. The first time he spoke publicly in ministry in his hometown in Nazareth, he was given the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he read some words that basically announced his ministry. And I want, I want you to listen closely to these words because they matter. They tell us what Jesus came to do. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that year of the Lord's favor is also known as the year of Jubilee, which we'll be talking about a little later. Sadly, the people who heard Jesus read those words didn't really understand. He wasn't talking about freedom, literal freedom for prisoners that were in jail, or freedom for Jews who were being oppressed by Rome. They set their sights too low if that's all they wanted. Jesus came for a freedom even greater than that. And later in his ministry, at other times in other places, he began to reveal that the freedom he was talking about was the freedom we have over death when we accept Christ as our Lord, 
the freedom that we have over the power of sin to control us. We are given strength in the Holy Spirit to fight against temptation, to try to do the right things, and we fail. But Jesus talked about that later in his ministry and made clearer that he wasn't just talking about Rome. Now, the Apostle Paul in his letters to the Romans talked a little bit about this kind of freedom. And if you read what he said from the New uh, International Version or the New King James Version of the Bible, you won't read about the word freedom. So this morning, I'm going to read what he had to say from the message paraphrase, because I think it ties what Paul was talking about to what I I hope that God will um, convey to us here this morning. This is what Paul wrote in chapter 6 of his uh, letter to the Romans. He said, Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. He went on a little bit later, and what he said later in this passage ties what I just read to you to freedom. This is what he continued to say. So since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way we want? Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. You know well enough from your own experience that there are some acts of so-called freedom that destroy freedom. Offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and the freedom never quits. All your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. But thank God you've started listening to a new master, one whose commands set you free to live openly in his freedom. When we read that passage in other translations, instead of reading the word freedom, we read words like sanctified or righteous. They're big theological terms, and they're important to what we believe as United Methodists. For example, we know that God gives us all kinds of grace during the course of our lives, and we believe that as we grow in grace, we pass through this order of salvation, the ordo salutis, and it starts with provenient grace, and then we receive uh, Christ's justifying grace is what we call it, when we accept him and say, yes, I accept the work you did for me on the cross, and because you chose to die our death, I accept your gift of resurrection. I get to rise with you. That's called justification. Paul causes, calls it in the passage read by the message version, freedom over death. Similarly, it doesn't end there for us. We don't have all the answers the minute we accept Jesus. We have to break old bad habits. We have to learn to do new things in new ways. We have to slough off the ways of the world 
And we call that the process of sanctification. We grow in righteousness because Jesus frees us and instills in us and sends to us the power of the Holy Spirit to help us resist temptation, to help us resist the forces of evil. We don't do it perfectly. We fall again and again. You know this. I spoke about it last week when I talked about not only is God the life giver of our biological and spiritual lives, but he's the life renewer, and he will renew us again and again if we ask him to do that. There was a part of one, another one of the songs today. I mean, they were so spot on today where the lyrics said, I will not bow to the things of this world. I will not bow to the things of this world. If we accept this freedom offered by Christ, this freedom over sin, it doesn't just happen in an instant. It doesn't happen automatically. We have to learn to make choices every day for the right things. We have to be freed from the world's expectations, but that also means we have to let the world's expectations go. We have to let go of self and self-centeredness and selfishness in favor of God-centeredness. That's what that lyric was talking about in that song. You know, really, we love to celebrate our freedom as Americans, but the other side of that coin, being free in Christ, at the same time, we're free in Christ. It also means being a slave to God. We all choose our masters. We may live in America in a free society. We may get to vote, most of us. But we all pick our masters. And we allow ourselves to be enslaved by something. For some people, that something might be debts. For others... It might be the accomplishments of their children. For others, it might be social status or status in the workplace. We don't like thinking of ourselves as, as slaves because the term slavery conjures up in us recollection that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness done the American way didn't always include all people in all places. And that for a long time, people in America were in fact slaves after being forced to come here. They lived in slavery, not by their choice. And it was religious people, in many cases, who before the Civil War were using words found in our Bible to justify that slavery was okay. If you want to find words that'll tell you slavery's okay, you'll find them here. And if you want to find words that'll tell you slavery's not okay, you'll find them here. That's why we always encourage people, don't proof text and interpret the Bible by one verse that was written for one time and one place. We don't like to think of ourselves as slaves. It conjures up images of racism, of human trafficking that goes on today. But I'm telling you, friends, to serve God with our whole heart means being free to choose to serve as his slave. We like to tout American liberty. And that liberty provides us the right, in part, to make that choice without fear of government persecution. That choice to serve God and to have God as our master. You know, today we tend to think of freedom as things like, well, I can go where I please, when I please. 
I'm not in prison. I could go to church if I want to. I could skip it if I want to. I can worship where I want. I can worship when I want. I, wor- I can worship the God of my choosing or not at all. It's, we think of freedom as the right to receive a free public education, having the opportunity to work, not being imprisoned. But not everybody enjoys those kind of freedoms. Not everybody receives those freedoms equally. There are children within our borders today who know what it feels like to be in prison. But many of us, and I, and I, I see this um, in talking to people as a pastor, but I especially saw it when I served before this as your property appraiser. We have many people in our communities who make a decision to be slaves to debt. I remember the first couple years I was your appraiser, it was kind of terrible. Houses were being foreclosed on all over the place. I had people coming in and saying to me, Pam, Pam, can you help me? You know, they're going to take away my home. How can I lose my home? I've owned it for 40 years. Well, they weren't going to take it away because of taxes. They were going to take it away because that person who lived in their home for 40 years took out a second mortgage for a huge amount of money after the home had been paid off, and that money was all gone, and she went down the laundry list of what had been spent on. And I'm here to tell you, friends, we all choose our masters. We all choose what we'll be in debt to. Our masters don't carry whips or chains, but the bills keep coming. Foreclosures can loom. The chemo appointment might be tomorrow. We didn't choose it, but we have to handle it. We have these trials in the life. Allison and her team sang about them this morning in the song about the fire. There's trials in this life. But the trials we experience in this life are nothing like trials that lots of other people around the world experience. What brings that to mind is right here in America, in the 19th and 18th century, a style of music was born that we call Negro spirituals. These songs were born of people who weren't free at all in this life, and that yet they trusted implicitly that there was going to be freedom in the life to come. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. I would submit to you today that with all our freedom, with all our technology, with all our gadgets, with all our ability to be educated, that some of us don't understand that kind of freedom as well as those slaves who lived on plantations 150 years ago. And we need to learn what they knew. Not everyone lives as we live. But you know, it's, I talk about freedom, of, freedom from sin, freedom from death. And you might say, well then, what goes on in this life doesn't matter. It's, it's all for later. That's not true. Jesus spoke about how we're to treat one another. Jesus told us to love one another. Jesus freed people from the oppression of the religious law of his day. Who did he heal? 
He healed a leper by touching him. By touching that leper, he freed that leper from the ostracism of exclusion. He touched a dead girl and brought her back to life. But by touching that leper and touching that dead girl, Jesus did things you weren't supposed to do. It made him unclean in the eyes of the law. He touched in a different way the life of an adulteress. He freed her from a sentence of death by stoning. Jesus cared about freedom in this life as well. And so did our creator God. When he freed Israel from Egypt, what did he do? He freed them from slavery, but he also set out for them standards of living. He set out for them rules about they should, how they should engage with one another. And some of the rules today seem impossible, wrong. We wouldn't consider following them. We will not stone our children, parents, if they dishonor us. Right? Yes, please, let me hear right. Okay. But we need to understand that God was setting forth laws for a people who had no structure. And part of those laws that he wrote in the book of Leviticus read as follows. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released, and they go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. Because the Israelites are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. God cared about freedom from the start. But if we read into those rules of the Jubilee, what did they do? Debts were forgiven. Property was restored. Freedom was given to indentured servants. A more just society was created. Greater equity was created between the haves and the have-nots. But the interesting thing is if you read the Bible commentaries, most commentators will tell you that Israel never observed the year of Jubilee. So that brings us to another Jubilee. A Jubilee that's one of my favorite subjects. It's our back-to-school Jubilee. It was the very first ministry in which I participated at St. Paul. And it's when I knew that I was in the right place with the right people. And the people I worked with at the time at the property appraiser's office, this goes back to 2014, gave me this stole, which deacons wear. I don't wear them in this service, but they gave this to me that I could not wear until I was ordained a few weeks ago. It's called a Children of the World Stole. And if you look at it, you will see embroidered on it the faces of little children of all different colors. And it's a reminder that all the children in the world matter. And when we participate in the back-to-school jubilee, we are saying to our community, all the children matter. The children who come to us will be multicolored. And a portion of what you give as your gifts to support the Jubilee, will go to Carolyn Goodwin in Africa 
to support children there as well. This is called Children of the World, and I will wear this stole every year during the month of July until the Jubilee is over to remind us that children don't choose their circumstances, but we can help them. You can volunteer on the day of the event. When you leave today, I hope you'll take tags off the school bus and buy school supplies. You can contribute money if you'd like to instead. There are things that we need to buy that we'll buy in bulk. I know it's hard for some people to shop. You can be part of this. We can choose to be freedom fighters with the greatest freedom fighter who ever lived and make a change in our community for children who live in poverty not by their choice, they live in poverty by their circumstance. It is hard to catch up when you haven't had people read to you from the time you were little. It is hard to catch up if you don't get the proper nutrition. It is hard to catch up if you fall behind. So we also serve children as mentors. This back-to-school jubilee has grown into school partnerships with Largo Middle School, Ponce de Leon Elementary School, Largo High School, Clearwater High School, and we're beginning to make connections with Oak Grove Middle School. Those schools call us. They say, we have a child whose home burned down last night. Can you help us with closing our supplies? Yvette Carter delivers to Ponce de Leon Elementary School clothing that she gets in donations for their clothes closet. We mentor students in the, bat, in the uh, Jumpstart program on Tuesday afternoons, and one of those little girls right now who was mentored in Jumpstart is on her way back from a mission trip in Orlando. And when she came to Jumpstart, she didn't know anything about our student ministry, about mission trips, or being part of St. Paul. And we see her family in church on some Sundays. This is the outgrowth of our school partnerships. And perhaps the thing that delights me most as we close today and we sing our last song, two young people will be up here on the stage, Nick and Peyton, two of several. But Nick and Peyton have been counselors in our Jumpstart Middle School ministry as high school students. They've been tutors. And now they've graduated from high school, and you know what they're going to do with their lives? They're going into ministry because these school partnerships aren't just good for our schools, they're good for us. They help us grow as disciples. They help us be freedom fighters with Christ. They help us change our community. And they raise up young people who will continue to make disciples for transformation of the world, and that matters. Liberty has never looked the same to everyone. Freedom is a variable thing based on your circumstances, the country you live in, the color of your skin, your gender. So I remind you of this. There's an iconic image we have that we associate with freedom. It's a patriotic image that came to us from our Marines in World War II. It's the image of some men struggling to raise a flag on a hill on an island called Iwo Jima. I would suggest to you today, you need to remember something else that was raised on a different hill, in a different day, 2,000 years ago. The hill was called Golgotha, and what was raised was a cross, and upon that cross was the greatest freedom fighter who ever lived. A wonderful author named Rachel Held Evans spoke about Jesus. 
to remind us that he not only died for us, but he lived for us. And sometimes you read something that you just can't say any better, so I'm not going to paraphrase. I want you to hear what she wrote. Jesus didn't just come to die. Jesus came to live, to teach, to heal, to tell stories, to protest, to turn over tables, to touch people who weren't supposed to be touched, and eat with people who weren't supposed to be eaten with, to break bread, to pour wine, to wash feet, to face temptation, to tick off the authorities, to fulfill scripture, to forgive, to announce the start of a brand new kingdom, to show us what that kingdom is like, to show us what God is like to love his enemies to the point of death at their hands, and to beat death by rising from the grave. Jesus did not simply die to save us from our sins. Jesus lived to save us from our sins. His life and teachings show us the way to liberation. So let's choose liberation, and let's choose to be free.